The air is crisp and chilly, yet the sun is shining brightly. You step out from your hotel onto the sidewalk, eager to roam the historic cobblestone streets and bustling marketplaces of Boston. Boston is situated in present-day Massachusetts, right on the northern Atlantic coastline. It's picturesque, it's lively, and it's steeped in stories of how the United States gained its independence from Britain. Today, you'll hear those tales of organization, patriotism, and madness. This is the Boston Tea Party. Hi, everybody. My name is Shauna, and this is the American English Podcast. My goal here is to teach you the English spoken in the United States. Through common expressions, pronunciation tips, and interesting cultural snippets or stories, I hope to keep this fun, useful, and interesting. Let's do it. When you think of tea parties, what comes to mind? Fancy teacups, perhaps? Little sandwiches and cakes on decorated dishes? Pastel colors? The visuals are usually chic, proper, and sophisticated. The Boston Tea Party was none of that. On the evening of December 16, 1773, 60-plus Bostonian patriots dressed up as Native Americans and threw 342 chests of British tea into the Boston Harbor. That's 46 tons of tea, 18 million cups, $1 million worth. Some joked that they turned the harbor into a giant teapot. Why would Bostonians throw tea into the ocean? And what's the deal with the Native American outfits? Isn't that racist? Yeah. In this episode, I'll tell you all about the events that led to the Boston Tea Party. If you plan on preparing for the U.S. citizenship test in the near future, be sure to listen to this episode. Stay tuned until the very end. You'll hear a quiz that was taken directly from the practice exam. Now, if you would like the transcript, definitions of challenging words and phrases, a quiz for this episode, and much more, be sure to sign up to season four at AmericanEnglishPodcast.com. Without any further ado, let's begin. Many, many years ago, before the United States was officially the United States, there were just colonies, and they were under British control. Britain had established many of them. The first was in Jamestown, Virginia in 1607. Then came settlements in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Maryland. By the 1760s, there were 13 colonies all along the East Coast. You probably remember learning from episode number 11 that the American flag has 13 stripes. Those 13 red and white stripes represent the 13 original colonies, also the 13 original states. In many ways, these 13 colonies were different from one another. 
groups settled together based on their interests. New Hampshire and Massachusetts were fishermen and traders. The South attracted those who worked in agriculture. Some settlers gravitated towards one another for religious reasons. The Quakers settled in Pennsylvania, the English Catholics in Maryland, the Puritans in Massachusetts. But despite all of these differences, there was one fundamental thing in common. All of the colonists wanted freedom. Political freedom, religious freedom, economic freedom and opportunity. Many had come to the U.S. to escape persecution. And so they no longer wanted to be mistreated based on their looks, their backgrounds, or their beliefs. In short, they wanted to be free. In the 1760s, the colonies were not free. They were under British rule. And the British government was broke. They had no money. They'd spent all of their money on the Seven Years' War and the French-Indian War. Financially, they were in the hole. King George III, who was in charge, decided that the colonies could cover the cost of war through taxes. In his eyes, British soldiers had fought on behalf of the colonies to protect them from the French. Since the colonies didn't contribute an army, they didn't have one, the least they could do was pay up. Colonists, on the other hand, disagreed. Many thought, this is your war, your problem. Don't involve us. It was very controversial. At the end of the day, King George III started taxing. At first, he taxed sugar. Then in 1765, the Stamp Act was created, which put a tax on all printed materials, including legal documents, newspapers, pamphlets, playing cards, and pretty much anything that was created with paper. It needed to have an official stamp indicating that a tax had been paid. Without the luxury of email and the internet, paper was used daily, and the colonists felt the financial burden of the tax. It felt unconstitutional. How could Britain tax the colonies if they didn't represent them? Britain refused a seat in their parliament for the colonies stating that the colonies had virtual representation. They said all parliament members represent all of the colonies. The colonists thought, that's not really fair. It didn't feel like democracy. Again and again, a phrase was repeated among colonists. No taxation without representation. If you want to tax us, you have to represent us the tax dollars were going straight to Britain. As a result of the Stamp Act, the Sons of Liberty was formed, a group who challenged Britain and resisted taxation. Initially, it consisted of nine artisans and merchants who were negatively affected by the Stamp Act. Eventually, it involved powerful businessmen, leaders, and organizers. Two of the most prominent leaders, John Hancock and Samuel Adams, you might already know. If you head to the alcohol section in a U.S. grocery store, 
you might come across Sam Adams' face on a Boston brewed beer. It's a very popular beer in the U.S. Sam Adams, or Samuel Adams, was a political activist and organizer. He helped gather and rally support for U.S. independence. He's an early hero for many. John Hancock is another political leader who led colonists to resist Britain. He was also the president of the Continental Congress and first signer of the Declaration of Independence. In fact, his signature was so bold and iconic that from it, an expression was coined in English. When someone says, give me your John Hancock, they're referring to your signature. Can I get your John Hancock? Can I get your signature? Adams and Hancock were with the Sons of Liberty. They organized demonstrations, protests, and boycotts against the stamps throughout the colonies. A boycott is a refusal to buy or engage with a product or service as a form of protest. The colonists boycotted stamps. Now, this may seem fairly trivial, but taxes threatened the livelihood and businesses of many. Imagine your family relies on your income, and suddenly Britain is taking that away. You're distressed. You can't provide food. You have trouble paying rent. And at the end of the day, you can't voice your concern with Parliament because you have no voice. What resulted were angry mobs, and they found ways to express their discontent. Stamp collectors were harassed, like Andrew Oliver, whose effigy was hung by a mob near the Liberty Tree in Boston. An effigy is a sculpture or model of a person. Andrew's effigy was hanged and beheaded. Naturally, it caused fear among these stamp collectors. Andrew resigned, as did many others. They quit. Their job felt unsafe. At seaports, ships carrying stamps from England were turned around and sent back home. Britain felt so much resistance that the Stamp Act was not effective. In 1766, one year after it was created, it was repealed. Nine representatives from nine colonies gathered in New York to make a formal petition. It stated that even though the colonies were loyal to the crown, they believed that only local, colonial authorities could impose taxes. This was Britain's chance for collaboration. But they disagreed. They responded that their parliament was the sole authority in creating colonial tax laws. Needless to say, tensions grew and the relationship between the colonies and Britain went south. In other words, it got worse. One year later, Parliament started to tax products that people needed and would have a hard time producing on their own. Paint, glass, lead, paper, and tea. This came into effect with the Townsend Act. Almost overnight, all of these imports were more expensive. 
Boston's economy was largely based on trade. Everyone was affected. Residents who were sort of on the fence regarding Britain felt the weight of these taxes and started to join the protests. By January 1768, all northern seaports agreed to boycott goods from England for one year. It was a team effort. Every time Britain felt resistance and unrest, they sent more troops, more soldiers, to the colonies. By 1769, there were 16,000 residents in Boston, and 2,000 of them were British soldiers. They patrolled the streets in red coats, carrying bayonets. To many, they felt like an occupying, oppressive power. Fewer and fewer Bostonians remained loyal to Britain. If they did, they had to face the music. To face the music is an expression that means to confront or accept the consequences of one's actions. In many circumstances, it was dangerous to be a supporter of Britain. Nobody wanted to face the music. As a supporter of Britain, you risked getting beaten up, your shop getting trashed. That's what was happening in 1770, when a young boy named Christopher Cider was shot to death. Patriots were throwing rocks at a loyalist shop when another loyalist saw them and shot into the crowd. The death of Christopher was an accident, but it added fuel to the fire. Patriots were furious. Some say it's what led to the Boston Massacre, the last big catalyst for the Tea Party. On March 5th, 1770, just two weeks after Christopher Cider was killed, one lone British soldier, Hugh White, was in front of the Boston Customs House. It was not normal for a British officer to be on his own. In fact, with all of the tension in the air, it was dangerous. Not to mention, he probably didn't want to be there. Out in the snow, by himself, and the position wasn't paid very well. But he was following the king's orders. That's when a group of patriots saw him. Once again, patriots are colonists fighting for independence. So, the Patriots saw him, they mocked him, and they threw snow directly at him. The commotion of it attracted more colonists who joined in. And that's when, excuse my language, the shit hit the fan. I know this is inappropriate, but it's so appropriate for the context here. The situation got very bad very fast. The shit hit the fan. As ice, snow, and oyster shells were thrown at White, he called for reinforcements. They came immediately. A fight ensued, during which someone called out fire. That's what people say when they want you to shoot. British troops shot into the crowd and hit six patriots, killing five. This event became known as the Boston Massacre, and it was depicted as a brutal attack of British soldiers on innocent 
civilians. The now famous Paul Revere, an original member of the Sons of Liberty, used the massacre to spread anti-British sentiment. He was an artist, and his engravings of British soldiers brutally attacking patriots were an intense form of propaganda. Even though the patriots had started the fight, his images didn't depict that. Shortly after the Boston Massacre, taxes were removed from all products except tea. Tea was too profitable. While you may think of the United States as being big coffee drinkers, at the time, tea was the beverage of choice for many. The colonists went through 1.2 million pounds of tea per year. Even though it came from over 3,000 miles away, it was affordable and easy enough to get. Tea from the Dutch and from the British. So how could they resist British tea? While some people refused to drink tea in general, considering it unpatriotic, others couldn't kick the habit. In other words, stop that habit. And purchased only smuggled tea. Smuggling is the illegal transportation of products from one place to another. Smuggled tea was unloaded by smugglers, so taxes would not be collected. Some smugglers included John Hancock and Sam Adams, and they were very successful at it. Customs officials and tax collectors who worked for Britain struggled to collect the taxes. In fact, they needed help from informants to tattle on illegal boats, those boats that were not paying taxes. To tattle is a way to say to tell on. For example, if your daughter tells you, Mom, little Bobby stole a cookie from the cookie jar, your daughter is tattling. She's telling on her brother to get him in trouble. So the informants would tattle on or tell on the smugglers, which was risky business. When an informant was caught, they received a very painful and peculiar form of punishment. They were tarred and feathered. Tar is that very thick, black, sticky stuff used to make roads. Feathers come from birds. Hot tar that burned the skin but didn't kill would be smeared or spread all over the informant from head to toe. Then they would be covered in feathers and carried around town as they cried in pain and humiliation. Nobody wanted to be an informant. So Britain had a hard time taxing tea. It was not finding a way into the colonies. And these boycotts from the colonies had caused a huge surplus of tea for the East India Company. They had 18 million pounds of tea sitting in warehouses, just rotting away. They didn't know what to do with it. Britain relied so heavily on the East India Company for profit, that's how they made their money, they relied on taxes and trading, that they decided to resolve the problem with the Tea Act of 1773, 
which guaranteed a British monopoly on bringing their tea to the colonies. Instead of selling through American merchants in London, they would sell directly to the colonists. And as a result, by removing the middlemen in London, they could reduce the cost of tea, which they thought would make the colonists happy. At the same time, they would be able to enforce their taxes. It felt like a win-win situation. The colonists, however, saw right through the scheme. Buying British tea, regardless of its price, even if it was very cheap, meant putting Britain back in charge. And it would push a lot of American colonists who were in the tea industry out of business. As usual, rallies and more boycotts continued. The biggest resistance, of course, came with the Boston Tea Party. It soon became news that 46 tons of tea were headed to the colonies on three ships, the Eleanor, the Dartmouth, and the Beaver. The first landed on November 28, 1773. The second on December 2nd. They just sat in the harbor. Pressure mounted. Those boats were the talk of the town. Everyone knew that the moment that tea was unloaded, taxes would be collected, and some people might buy that cheap tea. New York and Philadelphia had also received tea shipments. They were successful in sending the British ships full of tea back to England. Boston tried to do the same thing, but the governor, Thomas Hutchinson, refused. He wanted to have the tea unloaded. So it was sort of a stalemate. The tea sat in the harbor. On December 15th, almost two weeks later, the last boat arrived. The night of December 16th, every single man of Boston, 5,000 of them, met at the Old South Meeting House. The topic of the day was what to do with the tea on those three ships in the harbor. The governor insisted the tea be unloaded. Then, a battle cry broke out in the room, and 20 men barged in dressed as members of the Mohawk tribe. They had war paint on their faces, feathered headdresses and copper skin, perhaps to intimidate authorities, perhaps simply as a form of disguise. As they ran out of the building, they were joined by 40 others. Then, thousands of men from the Old South Meeting House followed them to Griffin's Wharf, where they boarded the three ships. With some torches and lanterns lighting their way, the men smashed padlocks and lids on 400-pound chests of tea leaves. They shoveled out the tea until it was light enough to lift, and then they dropped the tea from the sides of the ships into the harbor. Many who watched joined in. That night, there were no British soldiers around. No gunshots. The Royal Navy was just hundreds of yards away, but they didn't seem to catch wind of the chaos. They didn't hear about it. They didn't notice it. They didn't catch wind of the chaos. In three hours, 
342 chests, 46 tons, 18 million cups, worth $1 million, were dropped into the Boston Harbor. There was no damage to the ships. The decks were even swept of tea. The message was political and very clear. Britain, you're not in charge of us. You cannot tax us and not represent us. What's funny is that the governor was there. He watched and he did not object. My question for you is, do you think it was a smart idea to dump all of Britain's tea into the ocean? George Washington, our first president, had an opinion about it. He said that people in Boston were crazy. They were mad. You should never ruin someone's private property. Now, I guarantee some of you are thinking, yes, it was necessary. Some are probably thinking, no, it was not. Others are probably thinking, oh, gosh, those poor fish in the harbor, all caffeinated. What a mess. Anyway, you form your own opinion. It took over one month for Britain to learn about the event. And they were so unhappy that they established the Coercive Acts, which later became known as the Intolerable Acts. It did everything to reestablish British control in the colonies. There were no longer free elections. There was martial law. The military took control of Boston as people protested. The colonies had no self-government whatsoever. And perhaps worst of all, British soldiers were allowed to stay in colonists' homes. This was called boarding and quartering. Last but not least, Boston would have to repay Britain for all the tea they had thrown into the harbor. By this time, the colonies had figured out how to work together well. The Sons of Liberty were the leading forces for independence. Even though Britain prohibited town meetings, leaders from 12 of the 13 colonies found a way to convene for the first Continental Congress of 1774. Just months later, in April 1775, the Revolutionary War began. This war is also known as the American Revolution, or the American War for Independence. It lasted eight years. But in the meantime, a very important document was created, the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence was written by Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, and it was signed by all 13 colonies on July 4, 1776. For the first time, on paper, it stated all of the grievances, all of the problems the colonies had with Britain. It also laid the foundation for an independent United States. Every American would be entitled to three basic rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. July 4th is, of course, now when we celebrate our independence. We were not independent in 1776 yet, but it was fuel for the Revolutionary War, and it was proof that all of the colonies were in it together. It took 
years for the tension between the colonies and Britain to escalate in such an extreme manner. Who knows if the United States would be the United States if it weren't for the Boston Massacre, which led to the Boston Tea Party, which led to the coercive or intolerable acts? Who knows? Historians still debate that question. One month ago, my family took a trip to Boston. If you've never been to Boston before, you should seriously consider going. It's a very special place. There's a nice blend of architecture, the new and the old. So many stunning streets and historic strolls. It's just magical. There's also a Freedom Trail, which is a marked trail spanning 2.5 miles through Boston. It connects 16 historically significant sites, and it's marked by a red line on the pavement. It includes Boston Common, the oldest public park in the United States, where a lot of the early protests took place, Feniel Hall, which was the meeting place for revolutionaries. There is the Boston Tea Party ship and museums, and even the Granary Burying Ground, which is a cemetery where you can see the headstones of many famous patriots and also learn about their stories. You'll see John Hancock there, Sam Adams, and Paul Revere. Now, there's so much more to say about Paul Revere. The British are coming, the British are coming, Um, but we'll save that for a future episode. Let's go through some questions directly from the citizenship test to wrap up this episode. To get a full quiz once again, be sure to sign up to premium content at AmericanEnglishPodcast.com. Question number one. What is one reason colonists came to America? Once again, this is taken directly from a practice exam. Correct answers include freedom, political liberty, religious freedom, economic opportunity, or to escape persecution. Number two, why did the colonists fight Britain? Because of high taxes, taxation without representation. Another acceptable answer could be because the British army stayed in their houses. Remember the boarding and quartering? Also, because they didn't have self-government, right? The British said their government was going to be in charge. Number three, who wrote the Declaration of Independence? Thomas Jefferson. You can also see Thomas Jefferson on the five-cent coin, our nickel, or on the $2 bill, which isn't very common nowadays. Number four. When was the Declaration of Independence adopted? July 4th, 1776. Remember, July 4th is our Independence Day. Number five, what are two rights in the Declaration of Independence? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So you just have to mention two of those. Six. The Declaration of Independence was to declare independence from whom? I hope you get this one. Britain. Number seven, 
There were 13 original states. Name three. New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. So in this episode, I mentioned Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Maryland, I believe. I mentioned probably some others too. Hope you found this helpful. Remember, if you'd like the transcript, MP3, quiz, vocab list, and more, be sure to sign up to season four at AmericanEnglishPodcast.com. Until next time, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the American English Podcast. Remember, it's my goal here to not only help you improve your listening comprehension, but to show you how to speak like someone from the States. If you want to receive the full transcript for this episode, or you just want to support this podcast, make sure to sign up to premium content on AmericanEnglishPodcast.com. Thanks and hope to see you soon.